offering a most loving pranams at bhagwan's lotus feet dear listeners we welcome you to this week's afternoon satsang it's time now we dwell into the ramakatha raswani as it's that fortnight where we study the the story of the ramayana as written by our most beloved bhagwan we are in that part of the story where the war is raging many heroes have fallen on ravana's camp and today we'll be going through that part where some really meaty blows are served to the camp of ravana but before that as always we begin by offering our most loving pranams at bhagwan's lotus feet and we will start as usual with chanting the most nectarous name of lord shri rama ಶ್ರೀರಾಮರಾಮರಾಮೀತಿಮನೋರಮೇ Sairam, dear listeners, a great pleasure and privilege to be speaking of this beautiful story in which is the beautiful name of Rama. We shall proceed now to the palace chambers of Kumbhakarna. A brief about Kumbhakarna here. Kumbhakarna is one among the three brothers that is Ravana. and vibhishna being the other two and uh, swami has often compared these three brothers to the three qualities the three gunas vibhishna stands for sattva guna ravana stands for rajoguna and kumbhakarna for the tamoguna why this kind of assignment of roles it's easy to understand why vibhishna is sattva guna because sattva is attracted to divinity purest and that's what has happened with vibhishana why is ravana rajasik and why kumbhakarna tamasik we might have had this discussion in brief before but visibly when we see ravana has all the negative traits of rajas rajas is basically high energy that's all so this energy when it goes into positive sides it exhibits as enthusiasm energetic involvement encouragement pride but when it goes off to the negative side it becomes you know uh, a passion in the terms passion in sense like how ravana covets others wives it also can manifest as a negative pride which is boastfulness vanity all this so rajas is a double edged sword and ravana is a perfect representative of that rajas tamas stands for sloth tamas is like black there is no gray area tamas is 
out and out negative because it's absolute inactivity when we see the ramkatha rasavahini we will see that in terms of their qualities it looks as if kumbhakarna is nobler than ravana why then is kumbhakarna given the quality of tamas or sloth that is directly linked to the boon that he had sought from goddess saraswati because of which he sleeps throughout he sleeps throughout waking up only to eat and it is said that if kumbhakarna is woken up at any other time he supposed to sleep for 6 months be awake for 6 months in the sleeping 6 months if he is woken up any time it could be a hazard to his life so this is the strange boon that kumbhakarna has sought from goddess saraswati and i think prem we had maybe briefly even discussed why he seeks such a strange yeah, boon right actually uh, it's a boon that he sought from lord brahma who okay. uh, mother saraswati influenced okay apparently you know as you know the way swami has written about kumbhakarna itself he is not an uh, a typical asura because he does seem to have a pious nature to him and uh, as we're going to see that you know, i don't know whether we covered that part no we we have not, not yet woken up kumbhakarna because Correct. we said we're going to take two weeks to do that uh, <laughs> we will see that in, in swami's story how swami says that he he does seem to have a noble side to him and apparently that's what indra was scared of you know when he was doing his tapas mm-hmm. when he and ravana and uh, you know they were doing his tapas they along tapas, with vishnu right, along with vishnu Indra was scared of Kumbhakarna because you know he was uh, you know an asura who had a noble quality to him you know Vibhishna hmm. as you said was a sattvic person you know you don't fear a good man <laughs> right <laughs> that's the that's the case in the world today right that's the case goodness in the world goodness is never feared right? but you know here is somebody who is actually a, a you know a one i'm sorry a rakshasa but he does seem to have a good streak in him and probably he might even win the heart of uh, gods you know that was the fear which indra had and that's why he decided to influence uh, you know he uh, prayed to saraswati to come and influence the boon that he was seeking and apparently when I mean, the saraswati is also called vakdevi, vakdevi right. or the goddess of speech so uh, it is believed that she is the one who controls our speech and therefore it is natural that indra uh, sought the help of goddess saraswati to do this favor for him right. and apparently there are many ways in which it's spoken of one is it seems he uh, was about to ask brahma for indrasana right you know the throne of indra that was the boon he was about to ask because as we know i think uh, swami has mentioned this before when we speak of indra it's not a person it's a, it's a, it's a post hmm. you know in many ways uh, it's uh, you know it's, it's like saying prime minister of india right exactly you know so that post was being held by uh, you know this current this indra deity right so yeah, apparently he wanted to ask for indrasana which became nidrasana okay that was one and the other thing is asana I, meaning the resting place, resting place and indra asana nidra asana meaning nidra is sleep sleeping pose you okay. could mean that and the other thing which they say is he actually asked for nirdevatam nirdevatvam 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 meaning a state resting where there are no devas no devas because that's the whole idea of their penance so it became uh, nidra nidravatam Oh, okay that's how it you know, again it means a state of continuous right. sleep nidratvam or something you know that's the play of words which is used and uh, 
Nirdeva became Nidreva. Right. Apparently and immediately uh, it seems Ravana realized that something has gone wrong and he prayed to Brahma uh, to take back that boon and you know, give another mm. chance. But you'll have to again do her entire penance and come back for that. Mm. So this is the curse which Kumbhakarna had. But you know, even uh, in the Valmiki Rama and the other versions, he's spoken of as actually a, a pious person. And of course, we should not forget the fact that both Ravana and Kumbhakarna come from that previous birth where they were Jaya and Vijaya, the uh, you know doorkeepers of Vaikunta. So definitely that that goodness and that streak of devotion was always there, the, the streak of piety. When you were uh, saying about, uh, you know, they'll have to do penance again for so many years, I was reminded <laughs> of a small story that I had read once of a person who sits doing austerities in order to propitiate Brahma. See, Swami often tells us that whenever you do any penance, you do seek, in order to seek God, seek the highest. But this Brahmin, he wanted to seek wealth and so he was uh, doing prayers and penance to propitiate Brahma. Mm. And it is said that when Brahma appeared before him, he had already become a middle-aged man. He told Brahma, what on earth took you so much time? Why did you have to wait for so long? Why do you actually, why do you torture all the devotees who pray to you? Because they pray for years and years and then you come. So apparently Brahma tells him, see it's not like that. What is one moment for me is like 50 to fifty to 70 years for you. 70 years, you think 70 years have passed but that's just a moment. It shows that I responded the moment I heard your prayer. So then this Brahmin says, Brahma if one second of yours is like 760 years for me, what is one rupee of yours, you know, or one, <laughs> one, uh, yeah, one currency unit of yours? Mm-hmm. Then apparently Brahma says, yeah, like that only. One rupee of mine is equal to like a uh, hundred billion of yours. Okay. <laughs> so then this man says, wow, then do one thing. Just give me two of your rupees. Mm-hmm. Brahma says, that's all. Okay, I'll be back just in a moment. <laughs> and he's gone. <laughs> just a minute. And, just right. a moment. And so that's, uh, you know, I feel that is another reason why Swami also tells us that when you get the opportunity, you never know when you'll get it again. Seek the highest. We go to Swami and seek all foolish things. We look back at things that we have sought and feel that anybody who is seeking these little things are foolish and we think what we are seeking is the best, is a better choice than what others are doing. But is it the best? What is the best thing that we can seek from the Lord? Swami has given a definition for that also. He says, seek that, seeking which you will never have to seek again. I think our entire life should be behind finding this. This seeking which we will never have to seek anything again from the Lord. And seek only that. Because more than uh, the mathematical equations of one second being equal to 100 years or any such things. I think it's it's about... The value of that opportunity, how difficult it is to get the Lord in front and, you know, get a chance to ask Him. Sometimes we may get it off early in life, sometimes it may come late in life, but irrespective of when it comes, it is a very, very, very valuable opportunity and no one can predict when you get it again, you know. Like everyone was, I remember even, uh, please forgive this little digression, but I remember a time when, you know, people would speak as, 
uh, you know we have come a little late to satya sai because by this time already university and all has been set up and thousands have already come off to swami so we couldn't get the chances like the people in the olden days got so they would say that no problem we will be there early for prema sai you know this is how they would speak and at that point in time it looked like a very sensible thing because swami would also also say and you know swami physically had become in had come into his 70s so another 10 15 years so you go, everybody looking forward to prema sai today you just see i actually scoured through all the discourses you know went scavenging through everything to find there is no hint that swami has left behind as to when is a prema sai you know like whether it's 5 years later 10 years later 15 years later now i think what if prema sai is supposed to come 500 years after satya sai you see so that's what i mean by saying a bird in hand is worth much more you know when the opportunity arises grab it and when you have got the chance to ask therefore ask for the highest ask for the highest so that if ever again you are never going to get another opportunity to ask no problem because you have already asked for it so whenever i read these stories of different rakshasas and demons doing penances to achieve some worldly thing i feel we are also as foolish as these demons because we also do our pujas our things our worship or whatever do things to please swami in order to fulfill some worldly aspiration of ours you know, there's uh, one thing which you you can see here talking about delays when you pray for something you delay you know many times you would see that some of these desires as we saw even in the ramayana where you know when sugriva suddenly shows emotions and uh, rama says this is not devotion this is emotion when one side is emotion the other side is uh, you might have spurts of desires you, know, you suddenly you say that swami i want this and you would see that swami will delay it for some time and almost gives you an incubation t- period for you to see for yourself is it worth asking for whether you really want whether it whether you really want it and many many times you would see that swami will not respond to a prayer will allow you to sit with that prayer and you know you yourself will then filter it out saying that no that the you know greater things i need to seek and you would we would see this as a pattern even in in the past you would say you know the, the you have the story of the little boy druva hmm. you know he comes with a little uh, desire he wants a place on his father's lap or something like that you know wants the uh, the honor of a prince let's put it that way but then that five months he, you know, the lord delays to come in front of him and in the period of five months he realizes that that's the silliest thing to ask Hmm. and when uh, lord vishnu comes he says no i just want to be a devotee you know that's all i need and then you know vishnu uh, grants him that and what he initially sought but at the same time he would see uh, characters like ravana or kumbhakarna or you know uh, father hiranyakashipu hiranyaksha you know they start off with the desire and you know even years and years of penance does not change that thought probably hmm. that's what differentiates somebody who's you know uh, in the core noble but for might have some fleeting desires and somebody who is really you know something wrong with their character itself and thus kumbhakarna has asked for this boon of <laughs> sleeping and uh, that boon has been granted to him thanks to the cooperation by goddess saraswati and now ravana he has been inflicted such heavy losses that he decides to wake up kumbhakarna i think last week uh last fortnight we went through all those generals who have been killed and i think even the sons of kumbhakarna it kumbha and nikumbha they have also been killed ravana's sons some of some of ravana's sons akshay kumara and a few others have been killed so ravana is now running out of options so many generals we saw them getting killed 
So he decides to wake up Kumbhakarna in spite of knowing the fact that if Kumbhakarna is woken up during the six months which is supposed to be his sleeping time, it can be a danger to his life. And why Ravana does this, it's very evident because he's selfish. Because Ravana sees a danger to his kingdom and his life. It's almost like Ravana is thinking, what is the use of Kumbhakarna waking up after six months if I don't exist then? Uh, it's very clear that his thought is not for Kumbhakarna but for himself. Because he feels Kumbhakarna is also another ar- uh, weapon in his arsenal, that's all. Nothing more than that. So, if I am gone, what's the use of my weapons? This is a kind. This is the kind of uh, strategy that we have seen in wars throughout history. When uh, even recent times, when we take uh, Hitler was sweeping across Russia, uh, the counter move that Stalin did in order to halt Hitler's forces and gain time to fight back was he evacuated villages. But that evacuation of villages was not with the safety of the village people in mind. What he told them was, you have to just fall back into the Russian country, further inside. But as you leave, burn the whole village and leave. We know we are burning ourselves, but when Hitler's armies come, they will not have any <laughs> anything to take. Otherwise, what happens is when the army captures a town, all the resources of the town becomes property of that army, of the invading army. So, it's almost like that. Ravana feels there is no use of Kumbhakarna <laughs> if anything happens to Lanka or him. And that is the reason... In spite of knowing that it could be harmful for Kumbhakarna, he decides to wake up Kumbhakarna. Right, and I think for all of us who have grown up seeing Ramayana on television, probably the most interesting episode of Kumbhakarna being woken up. You know, because you <laughs> uh, have, comedy episode. Right, you know, so many uh, methods would be uh, uh, used to wake him up. And, uh, even Swami writes of that, you know, wrestlers come and box, and uh, people come and poke him with maces and... Uh, the beating of drums, then finally the elephants are come and they are made to walk over him and nothing, none of this wakes him up. And Kumbhakarna is shown as a very, 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 very big, huge personality right. even physically. physically. He's almost the size of an elephant itself, you know. Right. Huh. So none of this works and uh, I don't know, eventually how Swami wakes him up in the story. Swami wakes him up with uh, what is his favorite, that is food and right. food, uh, right. food and drink, liquor and that's food. That's how it's usually shown. They usually show like cauldrons of food is brought. But again, you know, the way Swami does not miss an opportunity to send a message, Swami clearly says here, you know, meat and uh, toddy was brought. Mm. You know, he's woken up with that smell, saying that, you know, these are foodstuffs which are tamasic in nature and these are what attract a person who is tamasic. And you know, if, if you are interested in these food items, then you, you know which side of the line you belong. And, uh, you know, eventually uh, Kumbhakarna wakes up and he's really upset that he's been woken up from his sleep midway. And then, on top of it, he hears from Ravana this entire story of what's happened. And he's really, really upset. The point comes when he's been told that Kumbha and Kumbha are no more. And he's really upset. And, you know, because he, he slept through all this. Right, he slept through all this. And he, uh, I, think I think he doesn't the, even know that till it is told. I don't think he even knows that Sita has been kidnapped. I think in between there is one episode where Swami says that he comes after Vibhishana uh, when everybody is advising him before the war starts. Mm-hmm. I think uh, Kumbhakarna comes and advises uh, you know Ravana to make amends. I think maybe just that before is he just, went to sleep. just after he gets to know what has happened. Right, that is the second time. I think there is one place where Swami says that he also comes in and gives his piece of advice and walks away. 
to ravana to ravana but uh, the war the, part of course he doesn't know the vandanas coming in and all of all of that and exactly yes i remember that swami says that that advice that he has given so now he gets to know of all this killing that has happened and he tries once again to advise ravana you know it's almost like so sita is still here why don't you return her back the so same uh, things and ravana speaks back to him in a manner which is a combination of how ravana has spoken to his wife mandodri to maricha you know and kumbhakarna is also put into a similar position where you be labeled as a traitor or a, or a person who is deserting when you are needed the most or, or you have to go against your conscience and fight against rama whom you don't want to fight this is a part that i found interesting prem because you see when vibhishna was given the choice he just walked out and walked out and joined rama you know without any qualms of his conscience pricking him and saying that you are deserting your kingdom you are deserting your brother when he needs you most because nothing is worth your loyalty in this universe other than god that is very clear for vibhishna and that's why he chooses god over brother but when it comes to kumbhakarna's case as we see you know kumbhakarna has got the wisdom to advise ravana he tells him all the perfect things and yet he doesn't choose to come out to rama's side but instead he decides to stay and fight on ravana's side while reading this i just felt this is in a way symbolic to show that if you are tamasic or if you are rajasic you ha- you will definitely get destroyed the only way to you know finally swami says you have to go beyond all the three gunas and merge into the lord but before merger the only way to stay on the lord side and you know win this battle of life this war of life is by being satvik is by being satvik Tam- tamas you can overcome tamas with rajas possibly but until you get on to sattva you are not allowed you are not allowed to go near to the lord because rajas and tamas get destroyed it's only sattva that gets a place beside the lord and also i think this is a very typical example of what swami would often say of you know the conflict between atma dharma and para dharma you know hmm. when you might have a a role that you have to play given the situation in life you are in like in the case of kumbhakarna he says look i am a warrior in your army i am your brother and it becomes my duty to fight on your side hmm and i think the same duty was there for vibhishna too but you know when there is a conflict between the dharma of following the stage and station in life i am in right now and following the lord you know always atma dharma wins that's what swami would say and you you see this in many characters in fact even in mahabharat uh, bhishma also is caught in this you know he has taken a vow for himself he's saying that this is my role i have to play and this is my vow i'll stick to it and even when he sees a direct conflict you know where on one side is the lord and the other side is the vow that he has taken he chooses to stay with his vow and that's probably the only mistake that he has made in his illustrious uh, life and th- this is a very important thing i think uh, you know which stands out in this example of kumbhakarna too absolutely and uh, though though it might seem that we are judgmental we are being judgmental i want to assure our listeners that it is not that it is not as if we are sitting at a high pedestal and pronouncing our judgment on these people but it just shows that how perfection lies in small things and perfection is no small thing though it lies in small things because the example that you gave bhishma so inspiring such an amazing personality and yet finally when it came to choosing between his vow and the lord he stuck to his vow that 
can possibly be an example of a trace of ego that stays there you know this again shows that even with a trace of ego you can't go actually close to the lord he is torn asunder by hundreds of arrows after which after which actually the shanti parva in mahabharata begins he gets his shanti and he gets his peace he gets everything what actually we think that we get everything in the world but bhishma realizes that things to get everything it has to be not things of this world and he gets all the peace at that moment in time so when such a personality such a noble character like bhishma is succumbing to ego just shows what a long way we each each one of us have to go before you know attaining the ultimate i'm saying this because many times in our intense devotion in our intense emotion we get the feeling that we have done so much for the lord why is the lord not doing anything to us that is when i think we should remember examples of kumbhakarna of bhishma because what they have done is a million times more than us and yet they could not achieve perf- achieve the lord because it was not perfect i think these should stand as guiding lamp posts for us and it's you know another thing which so obvious is though we look at our life as a continuum say that okay i've been doing this all this while i've been doing this you see that what is important in life is actually you you might have some 10 or 15 or a bunch of points where you make critical choices and to make the right choices at that time becomes more important than probably living 15 20 years doing something you know being a pious person for 15 years sometimes it appears like that not hmm. uh, it could be wrong but it becomes so important to have that immense grace at that moment when you have to make that choice you see that in so many of these characters you know vibhishna I mean the, the same phase which we are talking of Kumbhakarna being stuck in, you know, saying that this is my dharma. I think even Vibhishna was stuck in that for a while. Hmm. You know, I think a uh, few months after Mother Sita is brought, he is still in a part of Ravana's court. He is still trying to advise. He is still, you know, very much a citizen of Lanka. But when that critical point comes, where he has to make a choice, he has made the right choice. And I think that is what it is. That's why prayer is so important. That's why you know. to completely say that swami i am not the one who chooses you have to make me choose and i mean as we are seeing in kumbhakarna's case after doing penance for so many years if at that moment when you are asking for the boon you could you know you could have a slip of a tongue and ask for the wrong thing how much important grace is at critical moments that is one way of looking at it i feel prem the other thing i feel is like as you said uh, you might be doing something for 20 years but at the end of 20 years the decision that you take that is what determines and those 20 years don't matter in one perspective that appear that looks perfect and right but i was also thinking that just imagine take the case of a cricketer a cricketer has to go and face a bowler and play his shot now at a critical time say you need six runs in one ball to be able to hit that sixer one might say that you know it's a chance definitely it's a chance because there is no guarantee that even the world's best batsman will give you 100% uh, sixer at that point in time at the same time if you had to pick a batsman you would pick one of the superstar batsmen who you know has a tremendous work ethic who is tremendously consistent because you feel that if at all somebody has a chance this person has got a chance i feel that consistency and that probability improves in the previous 20 years to be able to make that critical choice which is going to be life defining 
I feel in all the other choices in our life which are not so life defining, we have to make it with the correct perspective, with the correct focus that God is most important. See, some of the other choices might not be so life defining. And there we might think, why should I bother, you know, why bring in spirituality and all this? Because it's such a small thing, who cares? But these are the little things that repeatedly we do, which will actually help us and equip us to be better prepared to make the correct decision when that life-changing choice comes our way. Certainly, I think, I mean, there is no undermining the idea of living a life which is important. But just when you you look at somebody like Bhishma and that fear comes, you know, I mean, definitely I'm not going to lead a life as righteous as Bhishma. Then where do I stand? You know, if somebody (laughs) like him could slip, then where do, I mean, that definitely should not discourage us from leading a life which is filled with righteousness, but it should give us that uh, humility. You know, humility that in even a life such as that can have uh, faltering steps, and that is why always humility and prayer is a recourse which we all have to take to. Yes, and with humility and prayer, we proceed with the story. But I think we will do that after taking a little break. Dear listeners, don't go away anywhere because Kumbhakarna is now going to take field, and he is a mighty warrior, and. Even before he begins battle, there is a beautiful moment there when the two brothers, Kumbhakarna and Vibhishana meet. And if we see the difference between the interaction, uh, interactions, two interactions between the brothers, that is one between Ravana and Kumbhakarna, the other between Kumbhakarna and Vibhishana, we get to know the difference between Ravana and Vibhishana even more. But all that after the break. So please don't go anywhere. We'll be back immediately after that. श्री राम अपराध पर राम हे राजीव लोचन श्री राम अपराध पर राम हे राजीव लोचन श्री राम हे अनंत सयनारा हे आत्मस्वरूपारा श्री राम जय राम दशरथ नंदन राम हे दशमुख मर्दन हे दशरथ नंदन राम हे दशमुख मर्दन हे दानव भंजन राम हे दया सागर हे दानव भंजन राम हे दया सागर श्री राम जय राम साई Sri 
राम पराकर राम हे राजीव लोचन राम हे अनंत सेनारा हे आत्मस्वरूपारा श्री राम जय राम साई राम हे दशरथ नंदन राम हे दशमुख मर्दन राम हे दानव भंजन राम हे दया सागर राम हे दानव भंजन राम हे दया सागर श्री राम जय राम साई श्री राम जय राम साई राम परा पर राम हे राजीव लोचन राम वेलकम बैक डियर लिस्नर्स एज स्वामी राइट्स इन द राम कथा रसवाहिनी कुंभकर्णा नाउ वेक्स अप एंड ही गोज एंड फर्स्ट हैज हिज फिल ऑफ एज प्रेम मैंशन टॉडी एंड मीट that the, that is the food stuff of tamasic people and he gorges on that feasts on that and then sets out for the battle and as he sets out into the battlefield from a distance itself vibhishna from rama's camp is able to identify kumbhakarna and he rushes to kumbhakarna oh brother and it is a very happy reunion in sharp contrast to what happens between kumbhakarna and ravana because you know when kumbhakarna gets up and comes it is not as if ravana goes and says oh my dear brother i'm sorry i woke you up and embrace and nothing like that ravana just gets down to brass tacks and kumbhakarna gets upset that things have gone in an adharmic manner he advises ravana ravana rebukes kumbhakarna kumbhakarna agrees to fight all this has happened there now on the other hand when he meets vibhishana it is such a different scene they embrace each other and Vibhishna falls at the feet of Kumbhakarna because all said and done Kumbhakarna is his elder brother. Right. And when he falls at Kumbhakarna's feet, Kumbhakarna blesses him, wishes him well. After that, you know, Vibhishna tells Kumbhakarna, he says, "Brother, you know, I tried so much. It's almost like Vibhishna is trying to explain to Kumbhakarna why he is on the enemy side. He tells him that, see, I tried to explain to Ravana, but in open court, publicly, in front of those uh, psychophants." who are there just to praise him and earn his uh, goodwill he just scolded me and everybody supported him and somehow the voice of reason got drowned in that mutual psychophancy over there and i didn't see any other choice but to leave and come here i tried my best oh brother <laughs> you know reading this uh, i almost felt as if uh, vibhishna is sure that ravana would have given kumbhakarna only his version of the story mm-hmm. and because kumbhakarna is sleeping he doesn't know what all has happened so it's almost like brother listen listen to my side also before you take a call and that is why vibhishna pours out his heart and after listening to it kumbhakarna almost has no doubts as to vibhishna is on the right side because his next statement is vibhishna you are from today onward you are vibhushana vibhushana is one who decorates one who decorates you have you are the one who stands out as a crest jewel of our family and therefore you know you are vibhushana i think in that one statement itself kumbhakarna reveals what he feels 
of this situation and vibhishana knows that his elder brother also knows what he has done is the right thing right and you know this is probably the the difference where as you're saying that vibhishana takes the blessings of kumbhakarna literally you know he goes and uh, typically like what happens with the pandavas in the mahabharat they go and take the blessings of the elders to the, the kaurava camp <laughs> in the kaurava camp to the surprise of the uh, kauravas and you know the uh, other thing i i don't know whether it's a little far fetched to make this comparison many times you would come come across people in life you know especially uh, very random people who would have never come to swami who would have never come and had swami's darshan and you know you will get the maximum praise for the choices that you've made in your life from them you would say that mm. oh you're staying with swami how lucky you are it's, it's the best thing you can do in your life and you'll wonder you know what are you doing you know if it's such a good uh, choice in your uh, perspective then why aren't you doing it yourself mm. you know you you would say made an effect once uh, silen murthy sir was telling you know, the uh, late silen murthy sir was former professor of sanskrit, sanskrit. in our university uh, apparently there was one professor in bangalore university who was one of those open critics of swami he used to speak about uh, swami in the press uh, very badly and things like that and uh, he when he was working in bangalore university he used to try to avoid that person as much as possible because everybody knew that sir was a devotee of swami and apparently when many years later he came, he met him and uh, revealed to him that i'm working in swami's university it seems that person was all praises for sir Oh. He said, "Oh, your life is made. You've chosen Swami. You're so lucky to be living in Puttaparthi. So fortunate." And you know, sir was so surprised. So you know, the the, the feeling that he got was, "Here is this person so caught up in his own uh, you know ideas and the image that he had created for himself in society that almost he was reacting uh, you know from that point of view to Swami and all other uh, Swamiji's like that. But literally in his heart, he knew what what a valuable thing it was to be in Swami's presence." Now it's almost like the Kumbhakarna and Vibhishana. Kumbhakarna is on this side. He's saying that I can't do anything. I'll have to fight from here. But you know, all praises for the choice that you've made, and, and so beautifully he says, "Your Vibhushana, you're the you know the jewel for our entire clan." The reason why Indra felt scared of Kumbhakarna becomes evident because in in Swami's own words, when Kumbhakarna takes to the field and starts attacking the Vanaras. anything they do on him swami writes is was like attacking an elephant with the eyelash i mean look <laughs> at the uh, beautiful uh, analogy that swami gives says attacking kumbhakarna was like attacking an elephant with an eyelash nothing no effect at all and he just tramples through crushes the vanaras eats them chews them bites them you know they are just panicking they are unable to do anything even the valiant hanuman you know is defeated by kumbhakarna and what kumbhakarna does again you know it i feel this shows his good nature because he wants to avoid this fight at any cost he wants to avoid this massive bloodshed and killing so what kumbhakarna does is go straight to attack sugriva mm-hmm. because all said and done though all the vanaras are fighting at the behest of rama for rama their king the king on the other side is sugriva rama is in exile rama is not you know in fact we were discussing how he doesn't even enter the kishkinda kingdom because rama is supposed to be in exile he doesn't even enter a kingdom so there's no question of him being uh, a king in terms of 
the status at that point in time so it is sugriva who is the king so kumbhakarna goes and picks up sugriva and starts walking back inside he feel that if you capture the king on the opposite side mm. you have to sign a treaty that's it right so that's what he does he picks up sugriva and starts walking back and any of the vanaras or any of anybody who is trying to stop him from that is meeting with death or debilitation in fact this i think was a strategy of battle in those days where you know to ensure that the casualty is minimum in fact the, both the armies will be trying to capture the king of the other side or i think it's like know, chess this one, right? you absolutely just get the king and yeah, that's you mean chess has come from the indian uh, way of battle right uh, that's the whole idea of uh, chess it comes from the indian version called shatranj correct shatranj whatever it is but this is the thing you know and precisely again that again is a noble quality of kumbhakarna i think i mean he could endlessly spend the entire day killing vanaras massacring but, you know, he, yeah. he goes for the thing he says let's put an end to it goes after vipishna in fact uh, after sugriva after sugriva and swami says that in the process nala and nila are defeated and then uh, angada is defeated and then finally he catches sugriva who is uh, become unconscious but i think after that sugriva recovers his uh, consciousness and then he starts fighting his way uh, to freedom in fact hanuman notices that sugriva is missing and that is when an alarm is raised and i think uh, hanuman takes an entourage of several vanaras with the sole objective of going and rescuing sugriva yeah. so they launch an attack from behind from all sides focusing only on kumbhakarna see let us remember that kumbhakarna is just one warrior there are hundreds and thousands of rakshasas fighting there so everybody is fighting everybody but now it becomes like ganging up on kumbhakarna because kumbhakarna has taken the king so they all rush to distract and fight with kumbhakarna making use of this distraction you know sugriva bites kumbhakarna's ear and nose scratches his nose and bites his ears and and swami writes that it becomes difficult for kumbhakarna to breathe for a moment and in that moment of weakness sugriva resolves himself free because uh, kumbhakarna is holding him under the armpit and <laughs> that's how uh, he has carried him away so somehow he escapes he does this and because he bites kumbhakarna and kumbhakarna gets momentarily distracted sugriva is able to jump and go back this is a point when sugri uh, kumbhakarna is <laughs> Uh, rakshasa ego is hurt now you know because he must have thought that a hey, you puny little creatures i was doing all this just to ensure that you don't have to get killed but i think you have left me with no other choice now so once sugriva escapes kumbhakarna becomes even more furious and he takes on a real real demonic avatar and his onslaught becomes terrible and now thousands and thousands starts dying the way they die you know is evident from what happens next what happens next is rama picks up the kodanda his bow and asks for his inexhaustible quiver of arrows and he says that i am going to fight kumbhakarna i think possibly this is the first time that rama is picking up more than one arrow to go into battle because that only you know i think that in itself speaks to the might and ability and power that kumbhakarna possessed right and in fact uh, swami says that the strategy that uh, lord rama employs is he starts attacking the rakshasas you know he starts for the first time as you saying that he gets into the fray and starts attacking the rakshasa army and a huge uh, contingent is made and all of them go in all directions and they start attacking when kumbhakarna feels that you know he cannot 
concentrate on some of these vanaras he he turns his attention to rama and that's when this battle or duel between rama and kumbhakarna happens and it starts off with rama beginning to chop off the hands of kumbhakarna and swami says the both the hands are chopped and there in spite of that kumbhakarna is standing there as an imposing figure swami says like the mountain mandara apparently i think that's a, again a, a story from one of the puranas where mandara is supposed to be a, a, a mountain which had two wings which apparently were, prem you know because of swami's analogy you know mm-hmm. swami writes that uh, kumbhakarna's arms are chopped off and he stands like mount mandara with its wings chopped off by indra so i was just googling through and reading the different stories apparently there was a time when all the mountains on earth could fly oh okay so it is said that all the mountains could fly they had wings but they created havoc because they were very restless and they were constantly changing their places here and there and one can only understand the kind of havoc that will be caused when you have uh, flying mountains you know mm-hmm. when we have a few uh, fl- flights itself we see the kind of problems that we have imagine mountains flying across and landing and taking off whenever and wherever they want so indra decides to end this and with his thunderbolt he chopped away the wings of all the mountains okay and uh, all of them fell to wherever they had to fall and it is said that in this chopping exercise only one mountain escapes and that is mount mainaka mm-hmm. mount mainaka because mount mainaka is uh, carried away by vayudeva that is the god of wind to a far away place so that its wings remain safe after which it comes and hides into the ocean mm-hmm. and that is the reason why you know Mm-hmm. we didn't cover it at that point in time but when hanuman is flying across the ocean mount mainaka comes and offers and that's also the reason why mount mainaka is able to go into go the in. ocean and come out <laughs> possibly because it's using its wings as it as his fins right. so this was the interesting aside that i read when i came to this point right and that's what happens finally kumbhakarna's uh, both arms are cut out and then a final arrow is used to chop off his head but even now that there is that scale as we are saying that is a person of enormous uh, physical size and even if he falls you know he would uh, end up crushing crushing millions so that's when rama actually i think he shoots an arrow which splits his body into two so that the impact of his fall into is multiple reduced. parts in right. fact uh, swami writes that though the head is chopped off because the momentum with momentum which he is running, running the body continues to run so in order to ensure that this doesn't happen Rama shoots multiple arrows which chops uh, uh chops Kumbhakarna, uh, Kumbhakarna into different body parts. Uh, speaking of multiple arrows, you know I always had this question what do you mean by an inexhaustible quiver, you know? Mm-hmm. So do uh, arrows materialize mysteriously in the quiver? So reading Swami's Ramkatha Rasamayani I think I got a answer to my question because Swami writes that every arrow that he shot goes and completes the task it is supposed to do and returns back to the quiver returns back to the quiver mm-hmm. it's almost like it's a boomerang you know it goes and even a boomerang doesn't return if it hits something right. it comes back to you only if it doesn't strike anything but that is the reason why that quiver is inexhaustible it's not as if arrows are getting materialized but none of them arrows get used up because once they finish the task of bringing down the target they are directed at they come back and you know replace themselves in the quiver and now a very very surprising thing happens you know at least very surprising for all the rakshasas and rakshasas and vanaras who are standing there because the moment 
Kumbhakarna is killed in this manner, they see that a very effulgent form arises from that body and comes and merges in Rama. And clearly saying that, you know, here was a person who was, Swami says that he was absolutely heroic in battle and in death he merges at the feet of the Lord. And while describing Rama into whom Kumbhakarna is entering, Swami writes that there is sweat all over his body and a few drops of Kumbhakarna's blood on his body. Right. On one hand, it shows what a blessed soul Kumbhakarna was. On the other hand, it also shows what a kind of warrior he was because he made the Lord sweat (laughs) to defeat him. So, in honor of this beautiful soul, I think we will offer a prayer and also take a break because on the other side of the break, we will resume and see what happens in the camp of Ravana because they have definitely lost one of their greatest ever warriors and this is definitely going to be a very terrible blow to them. What happens next, we will take it up after this break.
Welcome back, dear listeners. Kumbhakarna has finally fallen and it's almost like uh, probably the third person before it it really hits Ravana personally because he has lost many of his great uh, warriors and in fact, nobody he bewails as much as he bewails the death of Kumbhakarna because when the news reaches him, first of all, the army is completely demoralized because it's you know, he's probably second in uh, in reverence for them to Ravana himself. And they see that Kumbhakarna is dead. And then when the news reaches Ravana, Ravana feels that, you know, probably it's inevitable now where uh, he's not going to look up to victory anymore. But that's when Indrajit comes, Meghnatha, the son of Ravana. He comes and tries to infuse confidence into his father. And he says, tomorrow I will get into the battle. And he says, when I come and report back to you, I would have, you know, won the battle for you. And that's that's the confidence which he, uh, with which he speaks to Ravana. And uh, reading about Indrajit elsewhere, you know, you get to see that apparently Indrajit is a better fighter than even Ravana. Right. He is the most uh, valorous and he is the most skillful also. So this is the vow that he takes. Another thought that arises at this point in time is, Prem, you see. These people have such strength and skill and if they take a wrong decision, see the kind of consequences that it creates. We are speaking about how, uh, you know, different, uh, like he, in this case, Kumbhakarna's wife bewailing his loss, Ravana bewailing the loss of Kumbhakarna. Because Kumbhakarna was so dear to him, nobody was as dear like that. Just imagine how many such losses will be bewailed by so many others in the camp. It's just that we don't seem to focus on that, but it is there evident. You know, every day when we say that thousands of Rakshasas were marauded and killed and thousand more got deformed. and Just imagine the kind of lives their wives and their children would be having, you know, either your father is dead or your father is, you know, crippled or handicapped for life. It's... It's terrible and it that's what we see in the wars also, you know, when we read about world wars history, we speak of damages and um, this is the thing, this much economic loss, all that and the number of uh, human deaths is presented as a number, you know. I was reading that day about the Iraq-Iran conflict that lasted more than a decade mm-hmm. and they said, yeah, 4 million died and 5 million died and I was just thinking 5 million death is one thing. 5 million would be in, intricately connected with at least 20 million, right? <laughs> because each person would be at least connected to 3 or 4 people in, in the minimum, in the minimum. Sometimes it's even more. So just see the kind of devastating impact it has. So somehow reading all this and thinking about this, I just feel that those who seem to possess special skills, extra intelligence, more ability, greater capability, they also should be wise enough to take greater responsibility because there is a lot riding on them and their decisions can make or mar the lives of so many around. That is the reason why Swami would often say that if one student is bad, that student life gets spoiled. But if one teacher is bad, lifetimes of students get you know ruined. So, People who are in power, people who have influence over others' lives, people who have 
talent, skill and ability that commands the respect and admiration of others definitely should also have extra added responsibility and you know you can't get away by saying come on I'm also this is my right this is my personal life don't get into this we see this often happening that you know people who have a lot of admirers and people who are influencers in society they love it when the little little positive things they do is applauded and you know praised in society many times when I read this I just feel what's so great even my mother has done this even my father has done this but just because you are who you are your mother and father seem to get an extra added glow or whatever you get an extra added glow just like you enjoy that added glow you also should know that even one little negative act can have the same kind of effect at that time you can't say that come on this is my personal life don't focus on this it's not it doesn't because with added skill with added talent with added influence comes added responsibility whether we like it or not and the other thing which uh, is really striking here is uh, we'll be coming through another discourse in, in the conversations in this but where uh, you know whether be it uh, kumbhakarna has talked to uh, ravana or the ministers of ravana who have been advising him there's a song a strong overtone of morality each one of them talking about morality and saying that you know, yes, we'll go to go for a battle. You know, conquest is one thing, but trying to defend a wrong act is a different thing. You know, that's what everybody is advising Ravana against. Hmm. You know, we might, uh, I mean, many times I would think that Swami would say that, you know, you have Satya Yuga, Trita Yuga, Dwapar Yuga, and Kali Dharma Yuga. was better off in those Yugas. Then you talk about Rakshasas who were so, uh, you know, cruel and such things. But, you know, in this narrative, as we go through, we see that even amongst the Rakshasas, Swami speaks so much about morality. And you know where Kumbhakarna says that you know I, I'm defending you, but I'm telling you that what you've done is wrong. And in fact, he says you go and take refuge at Rama's feet. You know to that extent, hmm. because he has not done anything wrong, and you've done something wrong, and that is enough for you to, you know, go and fall at the feet of that person. Even Rakshasas had a sense Even of morality. Rakshasas had you know such a strong sense of morality, and you know nowadays when we talk of morality, a, a little bit of difficulty here and there we justify a wrong act. Hmm. You know, after all, I can do this, you know, because, because uh, I mean, yeah, you know, be it if you're born in a poor family or, you know, some kind of uh, injustice has been uh, meted out to you. You and feel you that can, you're right. You're, you're right. You can do an injustice right. in order to cancel out the right. effect you of know, that. That is, I mean, you can clearly see that the importance of morality as a society, you know, you might belong to the Rakshasa clan, but there is a certain Sanganiti within that community and there is so much of importance given to that. And there is probably a, a bit of, you know, a common minimum which is maintained. That whether you are a Rakshasa or a king or a Kshatriya or whatever it is, these things really make you stand out, you know. In that, one of this which we see here is respect for women. In fact, uh, one of the advices which Kumbhakarna gives in that conversation he says, you know, you, what you've done wrong is following Shurpanaka. Because Shurpanaka was driven by her lust. Mm. And you should never follow a woman who is driven by her lust. And all this is because of that. You know, she was drawn by her lust. And she did not get what she wanted. And she has come and inspired lust in you. And see, all this has happened because of that. So, you know, so many important messages in this. Because it's a known story. I think we, we always do this mistake of... Uh, running through the story and probably forgetting all these important points which Swami says in between. What you said is very, very uh, precise and wonderful. It is better off to be a Rakshasa and have a sense of morality than uh, to appear to be human without a sense of morality. It's like you saying that 
this something that i am being forced to do i have to do i have no other choice but i know i am wrong but i know i am wrong if you have this attitude then if there is a choice for you to choose between doing it or not doing it if you are not forced to do it you will not do it but on the other hand as you rightly said nowadays it's more like yeah i can choose but why should i choose this is right this has happened to me so i am right in giving this back so it was as you you know that was very interesting what you said satyayuga is supposed to be the golden age and that's when all the rakshasas are there and the kaliyuga is supposed to be rakshasa free but it's a terrible time you know so i think it's that sense of morality that even the rakshasas possessed it is out of inevitability they did some things but even as they did it they know that they are wrong on the other hand here we have a choice to choose we choose the wrong thing and we try to give excuses by by uh, foregoing morality right and uh, as we said meghnath has given word to his father that he is going to bring victory you know in the battle the next day so the dawn comes and now as we've said even in that battle before with lakshmana you know he is given to the use of lot of trick uh, you know magic in the in the process of sorcery. warfare hmm. you know sorcery in the in the process of warfare so he sets out in this flying chariot of his and and he creates a maya sita there in the chariot and uh, he looks around and he finds that hanuman is down there battling with in, in being part of the battle and he catches hanuman's attention and he says that hanuman here is sita whom you are all fighting for you know she is the very cause for this battle and i'm going to kill her and put an end to this entire battle or make it meaningless and as hanuman is looking at him with all you know anger and he's like rage is building up in front of hanuman's eyes he takes a sword and chops off sita into pieces or this maya sita that is created and uh, you know hanuman doesn't know what to do he is like hissing like a serpent but you know what he immediately does is he looks around and tell the vanaras don't stop you know continue your battle continue till you know give all your you know even more enthusiasm than you've been giving so far don't stop till even your life is sacrificed that's what he tells them and then he rushes to the presence of rama and lakshmana to you know discuss what it, what he has seen that encouragement that hanuman gives is very important because this is another strategy in battle like you said one strategy is to capture the king the other strategy is to destroy the goal for which you are fighting the war it almost makes it look makes the vanaras feel as to now why are we fighting what is the use because we are trying to rescue sita and sita is already dead now it almost feels like that so this is another uh, strategy and that strategy is used by indrajit so hanuman encourages the vanaras and goes and reports this to rama and listening to this rama also becomes very despondent and sad of course swami uh, adds a lot of words to say that he is only acting and he is acting his role perfectly so rama becomes despondent and because of that lakshmana also becomes very uh, dejected he says what is the use of everything now the mother of the universe has been killed and in this it is when they are in this despondency it is vibhishna who comes and cheers them up saying that rama this is not possible i know i am a rakshasa all the time i am a rakshasa and i know the stratagems of the rakshasas this is a very commonly used stratagem and i think vibhishna was also there when Ra- ravana used the stratagem on sita where he no, cut rama no, in fact uh, one important uh, information which he gives is that no one has the access to mother sita in the kingdom 
he says that only ravana can approach her so there is no way you know indrajit could have gone and brought her like this into the battlefield so it's impossible in fact after reading that statement i was just wondering the power of rama sometimes maybe even <laughs> hanuman did not know it because in such a place hanuman was able to access sita right <laughs> nobody was able to access sita yet hanuman was able to access sita so yeah the glory of god the glory of rama's name the glory is much beyond what we comprehend also you know sometimes we may feel that ah now i understand the glory of the name we can't be more wrong than that because we have what we have understood is mighty mighty little compared to what is the actual glory of the name so one vibhishna reveals this as if you know to confirm and bring more joy see that is the beauty of hanuman hanuman knows hanuman knows every moment what makes rama very happy i feel that way he's he is our hero perfectly because every moment he is thinking what should i do to make rama happy because the moment vibhishna gives this info hanuman rushes scales into the fortress gets into a small form so that he is not seen and since he has visited it once he visits it for the second time he goes goes to ashokvana and sees that mother sita is there guarded he comes back and conveys the news and hearing this news the joy that surges in rama the the energy that surges in rama is enough to pass on to everybody and indrajit is now having indrajit or meghnada will now have to face an army that is doubly rejuvenated as they come to fight him right but he is no less because you know swami says that uh, the counter attack that he presents is so very powerful that the entire wander army actually falls back and uh, in fact he manages to uh, defeat and duel most of these generals you know the, the main ones at least hanuman angada angada and nalanila Nala all of them and almost uh, he has managed to make them all fall in a swoon he also hurts lakshmana again hurts lakshmana swami says that he uh, i think shoots the what is called the nagapasha or even the sarpastra you know that's what swami uses here i think uh there uh, i mean the way swami writes is, is that he uses this against rama because rama himself steps into the fray right um so this again speaks of indrajit's might because after kumbhakarna the only time he step rama is stepping into the fray is to battle indrajit right and indrajit uses this nagapasha and rama is bound rama is bound and unable to do anything and this must have acted like a great booster dose for the rakshasas because till now they have seen rama just walk into the field and you know he dispatches arrows and that's it it completes the game there's nothing else to be done after that and now that rama is bound and lying down apparently helpless right and again swami makes it a point to say that rama out of respect or to that towards that arrow he does this you may wonder you know why does why does he choose to give respect to the arrow now not before i feel that is why we can't answer this question why when it comes to god we may only uh, speculate or give our reasons and our analysis but the actual why i think unless we merge into lord and become god ourselves we won't be able to make out but this much we can say that these are all leelas for us to learn from and for us to enjoy and as long as we are enjoying it and learning i think the deal is done right and after this in fact uh, he goes around uh, you know trying to demotivate the vandras by saying that he has defeated all the main heroes and generals and 
it is at this point that Jamwan steps in, right? He comes in and I think he also tries to take away uh, some of these heroes. He uh, tries to take away these heroes and when he's going, he ignores Jamwan. He feels like Jamwan is an aged bear, you know, what can he do? That is the kind of attitude he has towards Jamwan. And so when he's going, Jamwan challenges him, he just shoes away Jamwan. He says, you, you old man, you go on your way, you know. Think of your level before coming to want, before wanting to come and fight with me. And Jambavan then decides to show him his strength. And in an amazing reversal of events, a reversal of fortune, Jambavan actually succeeds in smashing off Indrajit's chariot, injuring Indrajit, hurting him, making him give up all his plans of taking captives. And he makes Indrajit flee back to the city of Lanka. Right. In fact, he is so defeated in that duel that Indrajit decides not to go back and uh, see Ravana because he has not accomplished what he said he will do before coming and meeting him. Because he is, you know, it's it's a really uh, serious, uh, you know, loss for him. But here in the Ramkatha, of course, not mentioned, but it's mentioned in the Valmiki Ramayana that finally they're released from this Sarpastra or Nagapasha, whatever it is, when uh, Garuda comes in. You know, there is that scene is very beautifully described where they are wondering what to do, you know, Rama and uh, Lakshmana are fallen and so many of these other heroes are fallen. They are all fallen. bound. All are bound and, you know, there's snakes all around the place. That's when they suddenly see that over the ocean, there's a gust of wind. You know, the river, I mean, the water is all rising up and when they see that, they see that there's a huge bird which is coming towards them. And when they see closely, it is Garuda who has come. And we all know, the moment Garuda comes... Garuda is the eagle which eagle is the mount of Lord Vishnu. Lord Vishnu. And the moment this eagle comes the snakes all run away. And, you know, that's how it is portrayed. And uh, that's how this part of the, you know, battle is, I mean, the day is saved in, in a sense, where Rama and Sita and Lakshmana revived. See, when we look at uh, the battle in Ramayana, there are apparently many logical flaws. Uh, I say apparently because there are logical justifications for the same. At the same time, there is also a beautiful lesson to learn. So, what is the logical flaw that I'm talking about? How is it that this old bear, Jambavan, able to defeat Indrajit, who has defeated all the other heroes? That is the uh, question that comes. And then if Jambavan is so great, why are others fighting? Why can't Jambavan go and just smash and get, you know, why couldn't, why couldn't Jambavan kill Kumbhakarna? So, when we think of this, I think logically one way to, ex- the, the logical explanation that comes is that it's like in sport, you know, Every sportsman or every player has his or her day. When it's their day, there's nothing wrong they can do. You know, they do the most amazing things and we have unforgettable unforgettable moments in sports history. Beat any sport, baseball, soccer, basketball. The champions, the stalwarts, they fail and hitherto unknown people become champions, become stars, all this happens. So... That is the way to explain this possibly, you know, Hanuman, all known champions are not able to do and one hitherto unknown, not actually unknown, but not so highly considered person comes and saves the day. The other part I was thinking is, this is the way the Lord gives roles to all the devotees, to all the people enacting this drama of life to ensure that nobody becomes too proud, nobody becomes despondent. You know, you have to be in equilibrium. Neither should you be too proud, nor should you feel insignificant and depressed, you know. Uh, That is why, you know, the squirrel received. (laughs) Uh, Because in a worldly sense, we think the squirrel is insignificant. 
but it received the highest commendation in the same way when there is a warrior whom nobody is able to touch jamon is given the role to defeat that warrior you see everybody is given an important role because without even one of these the drama would not have been a success vibhishna is also necessary it's not as if only vibhishna received from rama he also gave rama as we shall see he'll advise rama much more he is the one who gave encouragement and said that sita is not dead all this moral boosting is as important as physically fighting in the battle so i just feel from a spiritual view point this is a message for us that each one of us have our own roles to play and therefore there is no need for any one of us to feel either pride or a feeling of insignificance and absolutely and in in the battle what happens is as we said indrajit retreats and this time he does not go to the palace to meet ravana as we said he is going to this garden in lanka which is called nikumbala thing right you know apparently this is a garden or this is a place where most of these uh, ancestors ancestors of his have done penance and it's probably a place where uh, they all go to do penance and receive blessings from the lord in fact what i read was indrajit whenever he does penance in this place mm-hmm. he gets a special flying chariot riding which it's almost impossible to beat him okay. so in times of greatest stress and when he is thinking there's nothing else that he can do he always does penance here before setting out on the right. walk and that is why he goes and in fact uh, at this point what happens is vibhishna spies who are in lanka come and report to him that this is the move which indrajit is trying to take so again immediately vibhishna rushes to uh, uh, rama and you know tells him that this is what uh, indrajit indrajit is up to and if he completes this yagna or worship which he is trying to do then it would be very difficult to defeat him now whatever has to be done is is to somehow stop this yagna which he is trying to do you know it's almost like a uh, uh, you know a different strategy not to wait till he comes to the battlefield to meet him but you will have to go in search of him and attack him and stop him from doing this yagna and i think rama accepts this strategy which vibhishna suggests and this is when he turns to lakshmana and says lakshmana this is your moment now you have to go and defeat him before we go to what happens prem isn't it surprising that you know rama is giving permission to disrupt a yagna <laughs> you know rama is a person who has protected yagnas before and now he is disrupting the yagna reading this you know it becomes very clear that good activity alone isn't enough justification for anything you do the motive and the modus operandi are also equally important right it's not just not just that ah, you are doing yagna yeah, yagna is in anybody anytime you can do yagna is greatest good no if you are indrajit with the objectives of indrajit with the goal of indrajit in mind then god will come and disrupt your yagna if you are vishwamitra doing the yagna then god will come and protect your yagna so you see there is nothing like a good act and a bad act it's all determined by how we do and why we do what we do is not as important as why we do and how we do this how and why determines the nobility of the act as much if not more than the what we do right and that's precisely why uh, it, and and another thing which swami says in many parts of the ramkatha especially here is uh, whenever there is a setback to rama's camp or when rama has fallen swami says that he's pretending that uh, he's taking a step back he's pretending that he's defeated in this duel swami says that i think it comes later in uh, in the story itself where swami says 
you know, Rama has come with the purpose of not just finishing Ravana. He has come with the purpose of finishing the entire clan. So he does it in such a way that each one of them are drawn into the battle. Each one of them are given the confidence that they can come and they can, uh, you know, grab victory. They are given the confidence because of which they come deeper into the battle and that's how they are, you know, put an end to. And that's precisely what's happening to Indrajit too. There is another boon which uh, many times it's spoken of as Indrajit uh, having in his possession. Swami doesn't make a mention of it in the Ramakasara Swaini, but I think uh, many times I've heard it being referred to in Swami's presence. People have spoken about it. Apparently Indrajit has a boon that only somebody who has maintained celibacy for 14 years and who has refrained from sleep for 14 years after having married, only a, only such a person will be able to kill or defeat Indrajit in battle. You see, Prem, uh, uh, this is a this is a boon, and I, when I was thinking of this boon mm-hmm. in a very very, you may call it gross manner or in a practical manner, if you think of it, Indrajit means one who has conquered the senses. In order to conquer Indrajit, just see, it's almost practically impossible. A married person shouldn't sleep (laughs) at night and should live like a bachelor. I mean, it requires sense control of the greatest order. You know, (laughs) it's mind-boggling. So, therefore, in order to... And that too, not for a day or two days or a month or a year. For 14 years at a stretch. That's why, you know, Indrajit is so powerful because he has won over the Indriyas. He has won over his senses. And therefore, to win over Indrajit, you need this kind of ability, this kind of penance. And yeah, as you said, because he has got this boon, now you see how perfect Lakshmana is placed. You know, I'll again go back to that uh, story, though we mentioned part of it. Mm -hmm. When Lakshmana is on the first day of this exile, you know, when he's serving Rama, it is said that Nidra Devi, the goddess of sleep, comes and embraces him because it's time to sleep and Lakshmana says that, you know, you can't come to me, Devi, because now I am under duty. I'm on duty. I can't afford to sleep. Nidra Devi says, "This is this is nature. You know, what do I do? I have to. This is my duty. This is also my duty. You're doing your duty. I have to do my duty. So if not you, there has to be somebody who will sleep in lieu of you. You know. And it is said that Lakshmana tells her to go and state this problem to his wife Urmila. This is what I was reading in mm-hmm. one version. And so. Nidra Devi goes to Urmila and Urmila agrees to sleep on Lakshmana's behalf. Oh. So that Lakshmana can stay awake throughout. And that is the reason why Nidra Devi doesn't come to Lakshmana for 14 years. And that is also how Urmila managed to stay for so long without her husband. Because for quite a large part of the day she was sleeping. You know, Her quota as well as Lakshmana's quota of sleep. Uh, an interesting closure to this story. We have narrated this part, but this closure part, I think I failed to mention. So, I want to mention it now. Is that on the day of the coronation, mm-hmm. you know, Lakshmana laughs, smiles. He laughs actually. And it is said that when he laughs, everybody in the court becomes silent because they are feeling guilty. Each one is remembering a wrong act he or she has done and thinking that possibly Lakshmana is laughing at that. And you know, this is one way they highlight in, highlight to show that Lakshmana had an absolutely clear conscience. He did nothing wrong throughout. But then Lakshmana reveals that, see, for 14 years I had told Nidra Devi not to come to me. And today, 
having 14 years having elapsed, he has come to me. And he, and you know, he says, the tapas that I have done, you know, this is not what Lakshmana says, but it becomes evident that the tapas that Lakshmana has done is matched by the tapas that Urmila has done because when the actual coronation takes place, Lakshmana is sleeping and Urmila is seeing it. Mm-hmm. She, that is the reward she gets for her tapas. Because after having done all this, Lakshmana is unable to see the coronation of Rama because he is sleeping. So, they say that the sacrifice that Lakshmana made was matched by the sacrifice that Urmila also made. You know, possibly the most ancient example of behind every successful man, there is a woman. In fact, uh, Swami says that, you know, when uh, Lakshmana takes to, I mean, goes to Urmila to take permission before he leaves for the forest, Hmm. I think Swami has spoken of it during the summer course. Swami would say that Urmila was very fond of painting. So she was painting a picture of the Patabhishekam or the coronation. the coronation ceremony. And that's when this news is revealed to her that there's not going to be a coronation and you know they're going on exile. And in fact, Urmila says that till you come back, I will stay in this very room. So probably that's how she achieved that too. In fact, Swami <laughs> says that she hits the paints because right. she's feeling so low and the paints ruin the painting painting and Lakshmana says what is this so Urmila is almost saying that this is just a painting the actual coronation itself has been ruined so that's a very poetic way of expression by Urmila so therefore yeah needless to say I think this is where we will uh, conclude our episode today Lakshmana succeeds in defeating Indrajit and killing Indrajit again the question might be asked as to how is it that till now they have all struggled and Lakshmana is now able to kill Indrajit? Yeah, apart from the obvious, uh, apart from the logical explanation that this is Lakshmana's day, the other thing is possibly this is literally Lakshmana's day because 14 years of sleeplessness has possibly been completed on this point, at this point in time and therefore now the time is ripe, the time has come, Indrajit is killed. But after he is killed also, in spite of the massacre that he has done on the Vanara side, his head is respectfully carried and placed at the entrance of uh, the kingdom of Lanka so that the funeral and other rites for him could be done with all the due respect by the people there. Um, And uh, this uh, act of transporting Indrajit to the Lankan gates is done by Hanuman, after which he returns with the death with the death of Indrajit, the battle ends there for that day because it's 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 so heartrending. In fact, Swami writes that when Ravana comes to collect the body, Ravana himself comes to collect the body of his son. He when he and his wife Mandodari wail, all the Vanaras, everyone is also wailing because that is the amount of sorrow that is present. But I think all that and what happens next after that, how does Ravana react to all this? All that we'll have to wait for our next week's satsang. Dear listeners, on behalf of all of you, we offer our loving Panams at Bhagwan's Lotus Feet for this opportunity to revisit this beautiful story as written by him. Do join us again next week. We'll leave you with a song on the other side of it. You'll have the program Love to Love. Till we meet you next time, this is Prem and Arvind from Team Radio Sai. Thank you. Jai Sai Ram.
दशरथ नंदन दशरथ नंदन रघुवर जननी जान के रघुवर जननी जान के
ಸ್ನೇಹಿ ಪ್ರಿಯ ವೈಕುಂಠರಾ 